Well, uh, this morning we're back again looking at the subject of spiritual maturity. And uh, we're going to be in the book of Philippians in chapter 4, looking at just a few verses there in that. And as you make your way there, uh, just a couple things I want to draw your attention to. First of all, um, every week that we have a small groups meeting, I put out a set of questions that look like this, and they, they're helpfully labeled along the side, small group questions, right? Um, but if you're not in a small group uh, that goes through these, and you're wondering, well, I don't have a quiet time. We talked about, you know, talked about the importance of taking in the Word uh, by yourself uh, during the week. Uh, a couple of weeks ago when I was here, and some of you are like, well, I don't even know how to do that. Here's something you might try. Take a set of these and take your Bible and just walk through the passage that we walk through on Sunday morning and try to answer these and think about and reflect on uh, the questions. So there are questions uh, I call getting started there at the beginning and then some questions that are specifically related to uh, your study in the Word that are called Into the Word. And then on the back side says Into Your Life. In other words, how does this relate to me? How do I obey this text that we've looked at? So if you're not in a small group, uh, or even if you are, grab one of these, and uh, you can sit down with your Bible, and uh, maybe over the course of several days, or maybe even just one day if you're really motivated, uh, go through them all and, um, and come up with some answers. I think it'll help you to grow in the Lord. Uh, if you're visiting with us this morning, I wanted to let you know that we are really excited that you're here and uh, we would love to connect with you and get to know you. Um, Karen and I would love to host you in our home and uh, and have a meal with you and, and get to connect with you that way. Uh, and if you're interested in that or open to that, let me know because um, we'll set up a, a date and a time when that can happen. Uh, I've got some folks coming over this week to do that very thing. So uh, so we enjoy that, and we look forward to that kind of thing, and we uh, we would love to have you be a part of that if you would like to be. Um, now, as we look at spiritual maturity, one of the things that ought to drive our spiritual life, believe it or not, is joy. Believe it or not, what ought to drive and motivate your spiritual life is joy. So let me ask you this question. As you think over the last week in your life, what brought you joy this last week? Maybe you're a parent and you're immediately thinking about your kids. You're thinking maybe about first steps or first words or fishing trips or family vacations. Maybe you're going, you're, you have kids in high school and you're walking them through first romances, right? Because that can be fun, sort of, <laughs> but also kind of scary, right? But kids are a joy. Maybe, hopefully, in fact, if you're married, you're thinking about your spouse right now as someone who brings you joy. 
Maybe you're not married, but you're thinking about your family or your best friend, or maybe you're thinking about your hobbies, quilting or scrapbooking or painting or hunting or golf or camping or something else. Why do these things bring you joy? I would suggest to you that the things that bring us joy bring us joy because they are important to us and because they are close to our hearts. Things that don't matter very much or that aren't a central part of what makes us who we are don't bring us much joy in the long run. I'm willing to bet that as I start talking about joy, you didn't immediately start thinking about your job. But I wonder how many of us, when we're asking about joy, think about the Lord and your daily life with Him. Does knowing and being loved by and following Jesus bring you joy? I want you to ponder that as we all stand together, if you're able, and read what the Word of God says in Philippians 4, beginning in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, We know that you are the God of peace, the God who by your grace brings peace and joy and fulfillment and purpose in life. And Father, I pray that as we come to know you better and better, that our hearts would be filled with both joy and peace, regardless of the circumstances. Father, help us to learn and understand how to enjoy these things with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please be seated. Uh, The more I grow in the Lord, the more I realize that the Christian life is not so much one of dutifully carrying out God's commands. The Christian life, let me be clear, is one of obedience of your heart and your life, but it is but your obedience is meant to be driven by, motivated by your heart and life response to deeply experiencing God's love and grace given to you. In other words, words, this isn't a forced march gritting your teeth to glory, right? It is out of joyous, Love for the God who loves you that you want to do that which is pleasing to Him. Right? 
Some of you know I talk about my marriage a lot because it's a source of great joy to me. And we've been married a long time. We've been married 25 years. Not as long as some of y'all have been married to your spouses, but a while. And, and I know that there are certain things in Karen's life that bring her happiness, right? Like she loves to start off the day with an empty sink and a, and a clean dishwasher, right? And, and so I have made it my job on many nights to make sure that the dishes are done and the dishwasher's loaded and running when we go to bed so that in the morning, sink is empty, dishwasher is full of clean dishes, right? It's a good way to start off your day. And it means a lot to her. As she, as she stood over me with a whip and said, boy, you better do those dishes. No, okay. <laughs> as she yelled at me on the t occasions when the dishes are not done. No. Why do I do it? Because it means a lot to her. And because I love her, I want to serve her in a way that matters to her, right? In much the same way, God is calling us to obey Him out of a desire to love Him who loves us. Amen? And so it's not just, oh, I have to do this. It's I get to do this because I love the Lord who loves me. So this list, as you look at it, don't see it as a list of disconnected commands that you need to respond to with dutiful obedience. This passage is unlocking for us the key to a joy-filled life of knowing and being loved by and following Jesus in a way that is going to give you joy and peace. And Jesus in this passage is inviting you into that experience with him as you follow him. So verse 4 is the key to the whole passage. And look at it with me here. What does it say? It says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. The word rejoice is in there twice. It's repeated for us two times so that we can't miss it. And I think the reason that we get the reminder is the fact that as fallen people in a fallen world, we are prone to missing out on joy. You can find joy in your hobby today, but there may be a day when you can't physically do it anymore. You might find joy in your kids, but what happens when they move away? Or when they start making choices that grieve your heart? Or what happens when, God forbid, your kids pass away before you do? A spouse or a friend or a family member might bring you joy, but they too are sinners like you, so they will probably bring the consequences of that reality into your life at some point. And hopefully, the mix of joyful things in your life is greater than the pain and hurt and disappointment, but that is far from guaranteed. But you know what is guaranteed to bring you joy? Rejoicing in the Lord. Because there will never be a day when rejoicing in Jesus doesn't pay off, when it isn't worth it, 
You can rejoice in the Lord in prison. You can rejoice in the Lord on death row. You can rejoice in the Lord on bankruptcy court, at the hospital, in the funeral home, in a foxhole, in a divorce proceeding. You can rejoice in these things, not because these things are good. They aren't. But because God is good. And His love for you does not change based on your circumstances. And His relationship with you will not be altered by your circumstances, whatever they are. So whatever circumstances you're in, you can rejoice in the Lord. Amen? Again, I say, rejoice. Now, one of the things that's fascinating to me about Scripture, one of the things I love about it is that God doesn't just tell us what to do, but He also tells us very graciously how to do it. Because you may be looking at this command, uh, verse 4, going, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Always? Rejoice? Really? How do I do that? Well, God actually tells us how to get to where we can do that. And that's what verses 5 through 9 are. They're instructions about how to find your joy in the Lord. And uh, first one is interesting. In verse 5, it talks about gentleness in your relationships. Verse 5 says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. You know what I find really startling about this? The fact that the first thing that Paul mentions about rejoicing in the Lord has to do with your relationships with other people and how you treat them. That is not what I would expect. The word reasonableness here is translated a variety of ways in English. Um, in your English Bibles, uh, depending on what translation you have, it may read something like patience, mercy, forbearance, gentleness. Some translations read a gentle spirit. The idea is, is that in our dealings with people, we aren't to be harsh, but to deal with them in a way that is both gracious and kind. Gracious and kind. Now let me ask you a question. You don't have to shout out the answer. I already know what it is. But if you were to characterize the way that people in our culture interact with one another, I would suggest that the first words that come to your mind are not gracious and kind. Right? I mean, anger seems to be the dominant emotion that's publicly expressed in our day. Frustration, snark, um, you know, sick burns. You know, we, we get all that. Gentle, gracious, kind, patience, forbearance. Not so much, right? If we are Christians, though, and we want to experience joy in the Lord, then how we talk to, how we treat other people matters a lot. And we do so because we remember that the Lord is near. Now, let's be clear on what that means. When it says the Lord is near, it's not in the idea of like Big Brother is watching you kind of way. Like, Jesus is watching, so be careful how you treat people. That's not what, the, what, what Paul is saying, okay? What he's saying is this, is that the Lord is near to you when you hurt. 
And he is coming back soon. He is near in that sense. That he is coming back soon to rescue you. And if we constantly remember that Jesus is near to us, then we rejoice in that. And that rejoicing changes the way that we treat people such that we become people of visible grace in, st in stark contrast to every non-Christian we know around us. After all, if you really grab hold of the idea that Jesus is near to you, that He is with you, and He is coming back soon, how can that not change the way that you interact with other people. So it's like, hey, no matter what happens, at the end of at the end of the day, at the end of the day, the Lord is still with me in this circumstance, and I will be with him soon. It's kind of like um, if you knew that on Tuesday, today is Sunday. On Tuesday, you're going to go to the beach for a month. What's your Monday like? I mean, other than worthless, right? I mean, I, if I have to work on that Monday, I'm like getting so little done. I'm rolling pencils around on the desk trying to pass the time, right? Um, I am completely useless on that day because I know this amazing thing is happening the next day, right? I'm speeding the time, trying to be productive, but like... Oh man, I can't hardly think. I'm leaving for the beach for a month. Oh, you know, right? Brothers and sisters, beloved, something much better than the beach for a month is coming. So how can that not have an effect on how we interact with people? If you are at work and you know that you're leaving the next day, can you put up with some stuff from your coworkers? Yeah. Why? Because I'm checking out of here tomorrow, <laughs> right? <laughs> and I won't have to deal with your sorry carcass anymore. <laughs> At least for a month, right? And, and so we can be gentle and kind, knowing that the beach is coming, right? Much better than the beach is coming. I love the beach. Y'all, if, if somebody offered me a job, as pastor at the beach, I would have to think about it, okay? And I love you. <laughs> but, but but I'm just saying, I mean, I love the beach too, right? We have much better than that coming. And it ought to have an effect as we rejoice in knowing and being loved by Jesus and how we treat people. This brings us to verse 6 and 7. These, are, these verses are at the heart of this passage. They also ought to be at the heart of your Christian life if you want to experience joy in Christ. These are so important, you should memorize them. This is how they go. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses, transcends, exceeds 
all our understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Right? So, key to that passage is the word anything and the word everything. Right? Do not be anxious about what? Anything. Also, you could translate that nothing. So, if you're, if you're you know, from southern Indiana, you know, you say, don't be anxious about nothing. Right? In other words, not one thing that goes on in your life should you be anxious about. Not one thing. How do I avoid that? By praying about everything. By praying about everything. We pray and talk to God. We make supplication, my Bible reads. That's a $10 word for presenting your request to your heavenly Father and King. And then we are thankful to Him in prayer for what He gives us and how He answers us. This is such a beautiful privilege. One of the greatest things that you enjoy and I enjoy is, uh, is the fact that we get to pray and talk to the God of creation. The God who made all things in the entire universe, a universe that is so vast that it would take you more than a million years to travel across it, that God loves you and wants to hear your voice call out to Him. See, when, we, when we're in relationship with God, we engage in what you might call spiritual breathing, right? When you breathe, you inhale and you exhale. And what you... Take in is God's word, where he speaks to you. You suck that in. Oxygen, right? And what do you exhale? Well, when you breathe, you exhale carbon dioxide, which is to you a waste gas that will poison you if you hold it in, right? When you are engaged in spiritual breathing, what are you exhaling? All the junk out of your life. You're telling God about all the stuff that's happening. Lord, this is what's going on at work. Lord, my husband and I are not getting along. Lord, my wife was just really impatient with me. Lord, my kids, uh, have you met my kids? <laughs> right? Um, or if you're a kid, Lord, have you met my parents? I mean, really. You understand what I'm saying? You're talking to God about what's going on in your life. And you cannot make too much use of prayer. There isn't like a limit on it. Right? And you can talk to God literally about every single thing in your life. Uh, years ago, I ran across this quote from C.S. Lewis. Uh, he wrote a book called Letters to Malcolm, Chiefly on Prayer. And Malcolm is not a real person. But he wrote this book about prayer and he wrote it in the form of a series of letters to a friend. And this is from letter number four. And this is what he said. To put ourselves on a personal footing with God could in itself and without warrant be nothing but presumption and illusion. But we are taught that it is not. That it is God who gives us that footing. For it is by the Holy Spirit that we cry, Father, by unveiling, by confessing our sins and making known our requests, we assume the high rank of persons before God, and He, descending, becomes a person to us. 
And meantime, we want to know how, not how we should pray if we were perfect, but how we should pray being as we are now. And if my idea of prayer as unveiling is accepted, we have already answered this. It is no use to ask God with factitious earnestness for A, when our whole mind is nearly in reality filled with the desire for B. We must lay before him what it is that is in us, not what ought to be in us. In other words, this is, you know, he was a, he was a professor at, um, I think it was Oxford, and he writes like one, all right? But let me just break that down. In other words, don't pray as if you, as you think you should if you were a person of great spiritual maturity, as a person who has already attained Christ-likeness. In other words, pray like you are right now. Whether that is lonely or sad or anxious or sinful or whatever condition you find yourself in, talk to God about all of that. And don't miss the beautiful promise of verse 7 when you do. Do you see it? Look at your Bible. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That God's peace will come into your life at that very place where you offload all of your concerns and worries and issues of the day onto His shoulders. That God will take all of that and replace it with His peace. And then you have opportunity to thank Him for what He has done for you. If you want to become the kind of person that is like Paul and Silas, rejoicing after they've been beaten and put in prison and singing hymns in the jail, this is the way. This is the way. Look at verse 8 now. At first blush, uh, this seems hopelessly naive. Look at this verse. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. How do you do that? Well, I submit to you that if you talk to God about everything that is in your heart, that you then have the ability to fill your mind with Him and with His grace and His mercy, and His beauty, and His loveliness, and His purity, and His excellence. And as you start to focus your attention on Him and on these things that are characteristic of God Himself, then you also start to focus your attention on those things of this world that reflect His glory too. It's really easy in fact, you don't even have to try hard to think about the things in this world that are defiled and dishonorable and low and ugly. If you want to do that, just turn on the news or fire up your social media account and you can fill your uh, mind with all manner of defilement and dishonor. You can. But if you want to rejoice in the Lord, then you've got to fill your thoughts with what is good and honorable and excellent and praiseworthy and lovely and commendable, the things of God and His grace and in the way that we reflect His image in our hearts and relationships with other people. 
If your job is a challenge, do you repeat to yourself, because nobody talks to you more than you. Do you know that? That's a fact. Nobody talks to you more than you talk to you. And what you say to yourself matters. If your job is a challenge, do you repeat to yourself how terrible your boss is and how terrible your company is? Or do you think about the blessings that you have through it and the opportunities to use the largest block of time you have awake in your week as an opportunity for ministry? to do your work for the Lord there in that place. If your marriage is struggling, do you focus on all of the hurts and pain uh, that your spouse has inflicted on you or do you focus on what is good in your spouse and look for ways that you might bless him or her and make it better? When it comes to your kids, are you worried and anxious and therefore critical and harsh about all their flaws and sins, or are you encouraging and prayerful and hopeful and patient? On the world stage, there is a war on right now. Do you fill your mind with thoughts of worry and death, or with thoughts of how God might use you, you, this very minute, to comfort the afflicted and to bless the refugee and the widow, and to advance the gospel against all of the darkness and evil of the world. If we are rejoicing in Jesus, then this is the kind of transformation that ought to take place in the goodness of our thoughts that results. And finally, verse 9 speaks to us about God's peaceful presence with us. You look at the text again, it speaks about a life of imitation of those who have spiritual maturity. One of the beautiful things about the church and the community that we become part of through faith in Jesus is that we learn by visible example how to live the Christian life. I've probably used this example before, but you remember kindergarten, what you did? Remember show and tell? Right? Christianity is show and tell. It is, okay? You tell people about Jesus and you show them what Jesus looks like in your life, right? It's show and tell. And so Paul is encouraging them, having told them all these things, to look at his example and to imitate it. Paul calls the Philippians to imitate him. And and therefore, I want to call on us to imitate those in our church who are more mature in their faith. There are men in this church that I admire and look up to. Many of them are on the elder board with me. And I love them. Not just as my friends, but as guys that I admire and want to imitate the way that they love their wives, the way that they make their choices, the way that they pray, the way that they read the Word of God and are transformed by it. You see, joy isn't a feeling merely. It's following Christ faithfully in word 
and deed and thought and attitude. And when we find ourselves transformed in these ways, what we find is the God of peace right there with us, giving us joy in him. And here's what I'm trying to say in all of this. The more we rejoice in knowing and being loved by the Lord Jesus, the more our lives start to reflect his presence in us. And the way that happens is that we cause the fact that he is near to us and with us and coming back for us, start letting our hearts be transformed and our relationships be transformed with other people such that we're gentle with them. That we talk to him in prayer about everything. And not simply so that we can get rid of anxiety but so that we can know and experience His love and thank Him for His blessings in all circumstances. As we start focusing on what is good and praiseworthy and pure and commendable and excellent and imitating the mature believers among us, then God is really good as His Word. He really does give us His peace. He really does fill us with joy. Now the other side of this is also true. If you don't let the joy of knowing and being loved by Jesus fill your life, you know what you get instead? You get anxiety in your heart. You get impurity and ugliness and shameful and dishonorable thinking. You get a life characterized by quick-tempered anger in your relationships. Instead of gentleness, you get a life that is a cautionary tale instead of an example to imitate. Remember, I told you at the beginning that this message is part of a, a series that we're walking through about spiritual maturity. This is a huge part of it. About your letting your joy in Christ. Your real joy in Christ pervade your soul such that it controls every part of you. Your relationships, your heart, your thinking, your lifestyle. So rejoice in the Lord always. In every part of life. Again I say, rejoice. Let's pray. God our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you always Fill us with joy. You fill our, our hearts with joy if we look to you as the God who loves us and has loved us with an everlasting love from before we were born. We were known and loved by you and you sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins and to be raised from the dead to give us new life, to make us your children, that you might give us your Holy Spirit and bring us into your family, make us partakers of your divine nature, as Peter said. Father, we can't even imagine what you have prepared for those who love you. That is too wonderful, too good for us to even fathom what is awaiting us on the other side of this life. And so, Father, I pray that we would remember that you are near to us and that we would rejoice in you and what you have done for us in all circumstances that our 
that our transformation might be visible to a world that is deeply in need of the transformation brought by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray we might shine like lights and also, Father, that in the process of shining, we might just be filled with joy that overflows out of our mouth, out of our life, out of our thoughts, out of our actions toward one another. Father, may our joy in you be abundant. Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.